One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This promo is brought to you by Spry Therapeutics. A few years ago, I got a Spry pillow right before a trip. I brought it with me to use on the plane because it was so easy to pack, and I loved it so much on board that I brought it into my bedroom to use every night. As a physical therapist, I really love how the Spry Therapeutic pillow molds to my head, giving needed support to my weary neck. Spry Recovery is made with Flowform, a unique moldable technology that allows you to mold it into any shape without it returning to its original shape until you remold it. It's kind of like a soft putty that holds your head while you sleep or rest. The pillow can also be used in your yoga practice, offering extra support by contouring to your specific curves, promoting proper body alignment. You can do it in Shavasana or even meditation. Finally, the removable cover can easily be washed and the pillow itself can be wiped down with any household cleaner, just like your yoga mat. This cleaning ability is a safer option during COVID because it's easily sanitized. Use code LITFRIEND to get 20% off Spry products at sprytherapeutics.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by Kristen Williams, my wonderful friend, lit senior teacher, physical therapist extraordinaire. <laughs> Welcome, KB. Thank you, guys. Welcome. I'm so glad to be here, as always. So we'll get going right away. Yoga Room asks, please discuss rotator cuff syndrome. Dun, da, da. There's a wild turkey in her yard. I mean, oh, it's huge. It's <laughs> massive. Oh, it's just hanging oh out my. there. I, I just, love that's it. why you see my mouth go like, oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. Rotator cuff syndrome. Wow. This is such a common injury, especially in yoga. So what happens, your rotator cuff, it's a group of four muscles that are located on a scapula, three of them on the backside and one of them on the undersurface. And the main role of those muscles is to hold the arm bone in the socket. And so we call the shoulder a ball and socket joint, but I like to say it's, and what a lot of PTs will say, it's really more like a golf ball sitting on a tee. It's a very, very shallow cup, if you will, uh, with uh, a large ball. And so it requires these muscles to, when you lift your arm, when you move your arm in space, to maintain that ball in the socket. And so when we get a rotator cuff syndrome, 
there's been some disruption of that mechanic where something isn't working right. And you start to get usually superior migration of the humeral head, the, the ball, up against the top part of the rotator, the um, shoulder girdle called the acromion. And if you can imagine just getting friction rubbing against those tendons, which are the tendons of the rotator cuff, they get irritated. I always think of, I used to love the Saturday morning cartoons, the Wiley e. Coyote and Ben and Jerry, not Ben, and, Tom and Jerry, where, you know, Tom's thumb would get like bang, it gets like really big and red. That's how I visualize a rotator cuff syndrome where those tendons are angry. And so the role then of rehab is to get that shoulder girdle working better, get those rotator cuff muscles working better so they can do their job and hold that arm bone back within the socket. And then you basically end up taking irritation off. You stop, I call it scratching the scab. Everything calms back down again and and you can rebuild new, healthy, you know, less irritated tendon. You know, that's kind of the synopsis of, you know, what is rotator cuff syndrome? Was there a further, did you have anything to add, number one? And, you know, was there anything else with that? That was it. It was just discuss this, please. So I think that, yeah, this this could be a whole podcast on itself. But I think in general, in general, it is a term that's used a lot and it rightly so because there's, the shoulder is fragile in many ways because it is so mobile. And so... The main thing is, A, if you've experienced this, you need to have some expert, whether it's a physical therapist, movement expert, really take a look at how you're moving because there's a lot of neuromotor mapping that is required for good shoulder movement, especially going overhead. Once you get above 90 degrees, there's a lot of things that have to happen within the brain-body connection to signal the rotator cuff to do different things. Its big job, as its name name implies, is to rotate and to cuff. So cuffing is stabilizing the humerus in position and rotating it so that it can clear that acromion, that shelf that she was referring to. And so with overhead movement, that and and sometimes you know, like going behind your back, women often notice that when they're fastening their bra or something, there will be like a pinchy feeling. But those two movements in particular, whether it's out to the side overhead or straight in front of you, can elicit that rotator cuff pain where there's some kind of compression going on. And so you need to work on the stabilization part of the cuff, really understanding how to hold that humerus in what we call centration, which is centered on, you know, you've got the ball It's like a golf tee, like she said. If you've got the ball a little bit off the tee, you're not going to hit it well. It's not going to balance there. It's not going to function well. So I would say the best thing to do, again, is is get people who know what they're doing help you and take our lit classes because, boy, do we reference this in everything we do from going from plank and lowering and not allowing that head of the humerus just to droop down where you are putting weight-bearing and gravitational forces on those rotator cuff tendons over and over and over again. And yeah, there's so much to say about that, but that's the main thing is really learn how to align that humerus best as possible right over that little T of the acromion. All right, next question by Fiona. 
Hi, Laura. Have you ever done a post about pelvic rotation? Mine always is a bit rotated, but is sometimes worse. And when it's bad, I can't achieve any form of anterior tilt in my pelvis. I'd love to know how I can help strengthen everything up. And my physio has never given me any suggestions other than squats, which I do a lot of. Would you like to talk about rotation of the pelvis? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. You know, um, yeah. I like to think of myself as a recovered positional therapist where when I first was treating spine, I treated a lot looking at position and I would say, oh, you have an anterior torsion or an anteriorly rotated anominate. Um, and I got great results. I was able to help people trying to, again, make the biomechanics more neutral. But I, with age and experience and seeing lots of bodies and seeing just many, many thousands of patients, I've changed my opinion uh, to stop trying to look at people and pick out like you're rotated or you're, you're, you're asymmetrical because of that, all that does a lot of times is get in their head that there's something wrong with them. And we're all a little bit asymmetrical. Uh, to be perfectly neutral, I can literally have someone come in, they can lay on my treatment table. I'll look at them. Oh my gosh, you have an anterior nominate. Go walk outside, pat your head three times, come lie back down. I look at you. Oh my God, it's perfect. Now, did you fix it? <laughs> did the patting on your head do shit? No. It can be error on my, you know, my side. It can just be circumstantial. Now that's not to say you're feel what's interesting about you is you're feeling something. You're like, when I feel off, I cannot do certain things. Your best bet is going to be something like the reset or where you are doing something to tap into the posterior chain, get a neutral pelvis bilaterally. You can find those little asymmetries and start to address them. Yoga, that's why as soon as I got into lit yoga, I started using it in my treatment of my patients because it's such a good indicator of asymmetry. You do the left side, you do the right side. I told this story before. I did a staff meeting at my clinic, the last place I was at. I taught them a lit yoga class. And I'm talking beginners. And these are athletes. They were all gobsmacked by A, how hard it was, and B, how much it showed their own asymmetries. And, you know, we're PTs. We aren't, you know, we have issues too, just like nurses and doctors, you know, we know better, but we all, we all have little asymmetries. So get on your mat, try your reset. If the whole thing of just giving you squats, I don't quite understand that. Um, I would, to Laura's point with the last person, have someone else look at you. I do have people who I say, you know, you tend to do this. Even before the reset, I want you to spend five minutes doing this. You might need a little extra. You might be a little hypermobile or a little less tapped into your body in certain areas that if you spend five extra minutes doing X, Y, and Z, it's going to help you prepare for the reset even, which then prepares you for the body. But so much of this, I believe, is neural mapping. Like we always talk about, once you can retrain the brain out of your bad habits, and I don't want to call them bad, but they're just your postural habits but they aren't serving you. That's what makes them bad. Can we create new habits that serve your body? And the body is amazing at healing itself if we just give it the right tools. What do you think, Laura? 
I love that. And I would say that like the spot on thing you said is do not be attached to this label that someone gave you because then like, again, everything that you do, you're going to attribute to that. Oh my gosh, my, you know, left side of my ribs hurts. It must be because of my shifted pelvis. It's like, no, we're all asymmetrical. I know when I get on the mat, if I, before I even do the reset, if I do cat cow a couple times, half the time, my right side will feel really sticky. It just like I just know that that that's that right, and I'm pretty balanced, but I still have that. And after the reset, I do the cat cow again, and it's way better. It's way different. So it's just, but I'm not sitting there going, "Oh boy, my right pelvis is like shifted forward," and I can't, you know just don't get attached to those diagnoses. That's number one. Number two, not to toot our horns here, but Kristen and I both do privates, and so you just just. Email support at lityoga.com and ask to do private with one of us. Because what I can tell you from both of us doing so many of them, one session with us, we could really assess a lot and give you things. And that could be it versus just going and spending, you know, four to six months where you're getting, no offense, but just squats, which honestly, that's probably all that PT might have had time to do with you. And that's some of that is just the state of the world of, but, you know, really we can help you because we're, we just have so many years under our belt of looking at bodies and knowing like this one little shift, this movement here, paying attention here can change that feeling in your pelvis. So if it's not with us, find somebody like us, who's going to look at your entire body because it's not just your pelvis. It could be something you're doing up the chain, your neck, who knows? So we would look at everything. Yeah, and that's what I say. Then your your daily yoga practice be, becomes your rehab because we change. All right, when you do that, you change the littlest thing in your practice and suddenly your practice evolves overnight. And uh, it might be harder, but you're working towards it and end goal of being stronger and, and better suited to meet the demands of daily life. And that's why we do re- reset every time, even though we've been doing it for years and years. It's that knowing that other aspects of our life are going to probably pull us into more imbalance. We need that every single time we go on the mat. I never miss out on it. And even like in my body, again, a pretty balanced body, if I were not to do that, my practice would not feel the same. It just wouldn't. All right. So we've got a question from Jordan Sumter. She has a question about, uh, she was diagnosed with JRA, which is juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, when I was 18 months. Wow. Wow. Never heard of that. That's young. Well, it's been in remission and I've been fully off meds since I was 12. I was left with a fusion in my neck of my C2 and C3. Are there certain yoga poses I should be avoiding? Well, I wrote Jordan personally just really quickly. I said we would be getting to this question, but just know if you're practicing lit, you should be fine because A, the poses that you would really avoid are weight-bearing on your head. <laughs> you know, so that would be headstand, shoulder stands, plow, anything like that. And then for the most part, the rest of the stuff we do would be fine. And you just would move your neck and there would be areas where you wouldn't be able to release your neck when we're asking to, but uh, you would still really focus on the neutral cervical spine by strengthening your cervical flexors to give that area of fusion even more support. So that was my main thing I told her. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I totally agree. I mean, when you think about it, we, we don't do the weight bearing and we don't do the head throwing back. 
You know, anytime you fuse an area of the spine, whether it's the cervical spine, lumbar spine, those are the two most commonly fused areas, you're going to put more strain on the joints that are closest by. So she's fused, I think she said C2 to 4. So COC1 is going to be a little, you know, it's quite a bit more prone or susceptible, which is with JRA especially important. You know, you have that ligamentous instability, which is most likely why you got fused. So we don't want to be doing that. You know, you you wouldn't want to be repeatedly throwing your head back or certainly not bearing weight, but all of that great stability work. And yeah, you're not going to look like one of us who aren't fused. You know, we will have more mobility, but that's okay. You're going to move within a safe, active range and you know, really build up that triple S is going to be your best friend. I just my entire class this morning was based around what I call the three tenets of lit yoga: triple S, connection to core, which includes all the way up at the at the neck, and uh, the hip hinge, which is all maintaining that triple S. And you know, really, I walked out of there feeling an inch taller. Oh my you gosh, know, I just so. got the chills when you said three tenets of lit. I love it. <laughs> I called it the I called it the crux of the matter. Like it's yeah. the heart of lit. And it's yeah. the, because why? Posture effing matters. Yeah. And it, it does. goes all the way up to your neck. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's it. Yeah. Don't worry, honey. I'm I'm so impressed with you, your RA. And yeah, keep moving. Keep moving. And the stuff we do, we don't hyperextend the neck. We don't bear weight on Stabilize. it. You're gonna be great. Yeah. Okay, so M. Haley, ML Haley 04, how to prevent burn on forearms when practicing forearm inversions? Uh, I'll, I'll go first and then, because um, yeah. it's just over the years, it's been fun to witness people who, not fun, but you know, people will get, they will get that burny sensation. I've had people bleed in class, you know, people that don't know what I'm talking about. It's like if you're in dolphin or something, your forearms are on the ground. And so when you start to put more and more weight on the forearms, that it's just like you need a little callus there. And that callus, because it's so, ba- it's a baby skin, you know, you, when are we ever putting weight on there? You know, we're just not. So, and there's a nice little fat pad there too. So you get the, the kind of callus over that fat pad over time. So what I've, I've even had people who, we're doing really well. It broke open. It started bleeding. They put a bandaid on it, took a little weight off of it for, did it again, you know, and it's just, and so I think those people might be kind of rubbing their forearms as opposed to pushing down. So it could also be a little bit of an indicator of what you're doing. So if you push straight down into it, I don't think you're going to have that same amount of friction. So lift your core, lift up, bend your knees, pike up in the pelvis to unweight some of that out of there so that it's not when you try and shift forward that you shouldn't feel any shearing on the skin because you've already really well established your scapula in position and then all the uh, supporting muscles. That would be my best advice is it might be for you an indicator that you're doing a little bit of shifting of your shoulders and that ends up uh, scraping your forearms. Any comments on that? That would be my gut. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And I, I was kind of chuckling to myself thinking about the whole callus formation. because. So back in college, I had this idea that I was going to be a guitar lady. you know. And so I bought a guitar and I took Guitar 101. And 
I did not make it past one semester because it hurt so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, people's fingers will bleed. Yeah, I could not get to that point of of you know making the you know that that callus creation. So I do think you know, especially when you think about we're talking about the forearms. If you are weight bearing with the hands clasped, you're weight bearing really right along that ulna, which is there's not much meat there, especially, you know, the forearm down. If you can get the palms flat, you're going to be weight bearing through more, more meat, more, <laughs> more muscle, which is just more hardy versus going right on that, that bone of the ulna coming right down the side of the forearm. But to your point, I would also look at mechanics, you know, where are, are there some shearing forces that are occurring? But I just, I was just chuckling to myself while you were talking about that, thinking I'm not the person to ask because I am a wuss. (laughs) I did not play guitar. And I think you can kind of, um, when you get your forms down, you, I, you almost roll a little bit so that the flesh has been pushed. It's almost that idea when people say, move your flesh away from your sit bones, which I never give that cue, but you're kind of moving the flesh away from the bone and spreading it out a little bit. So it's not possibly going to have that same impact. But let us know. Direct message us and tell us if any of these cues helped out. And if anybody else has any questions, make sure you send them to us. We love getting your questions. They're so they're so wonderful and varied. You can uh, direct message me on Instagram at laura.hyman or Kristen at kbwilliams99. We Thank look forward you. to hearing from you. Keep them coming. Yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> and as always, we're pulling for you. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.